This is the eighth podcast in this series that I'm doing on the works of Paul and how to understand Paul. In the last podcast, the term works of the law would have been very startling to the people of ancient Israel. The term does not appear in the Hebrew Scriptures. It does not appear in the extra-biblical literature, the Apocrypha and the Pseudepigrapha. It appears once in the Dead Sea Scrolls, but one appearance doesn't mean that it was commonly understood by the people. In this podcast, we're going to start in Galatians uh, chapter 2, and we're going to go into verses 15 to 21. And in these verses, <laughs> he's encouraging us to search the spiritual depth of the Hebrew Scriptures. You know, he doesn't come out and just tell us this is what it means. He's going to give us clues. And Paul is, is leading us to discover with him the astounding power of Christ available to those with Christ in them. But this is just the bare beginning. I mean, he's it's going to get a little harder because it's using this artistic language. And we haven't been taught this artistic language, so it's hard for us to grasp. But I'm going to do my absolute best to explain it to you in a way that you can understand. Paul will guide you, as he directs the Galatians, to the central message to the term, Christ lives in me. That's where he's leading us. Uh, but despite Paul's exciting discovery from Scripture, your first reaction may be similar to that of the Galatians. The Galatians would have felt, you know, experiencing turmoil, confusion, perhaps even anger. And that is our reaction also. Now, the Jewish believers in Galatia are confused because they're so steeped in the law and circumcision that, that they're confused. The Gentile believers don't know the Hebrew Scriptures. So what is Paul talking about? You know, this turmoil, confusion, perhaps even anger. Paul is encouraging them to confront their own traditions and to consider something dramatically new. This is this art of persuasion. He's kind of softening us up is what he's doing. And his task, which is quite challenging, is to soundly defeat what is called in Galatians the different gospel. Now, the different gospel was you had to know the law and you had to be circumcised. That's the different gospel. For the Jewish believers, that's very a very comfortable tradition. I mean, this is, this is the way they've been taught for centuries, right? And this tradition of knowing the law honors God's commandments to his chosen people. I mean, God is instructing them, this is how you're supposed to live. Well, what's wrong with that? And, and circumcision tells the world, I mean, you know, every time the men had to go off into the bushes, that's going to tell everybody else they're dedicated to God, to their God, the God of Israel. And, and they're thinking, but wait a minute, aren't the Gentile believers in Christ, aren't they joining God's family, the Jews? And if they're joining God's family, they have to know the law, they have to be circumcised. But Paul is using methods of linguistic artistry to heighten an emotional response and disturb the comfort of this tradition. But first, we have to understand what these methods of Hebraic artistry of language really are. Then we can test the proposal that Paul is using methods of Hebraic artistry of language in one of the most controversial passages in the New Testament. I want you now to understand how difficult it is to confront tradition and to question your tradition which is what Paul was asking the Galatians to do, and perhaps he's asking us to do the same thing. The Galatians must have been considerably shaken by the sharp tone and commanding tenor of Paul's introductory words. The leader of the Christian community in Galatia, most likely a Jewish believer knowledgeable in the law, may have hesitated after reading this 
introduction in Paul's letter. And now he's reading this part that starts in Galatians 2. This is where it really gets unsettling here. I'm, I'm going to read it to you just from the New American Standard Version. And then we're going to go into it and I'm explain it. It says, we are by nature Jews. So Paul is talking to the Jewish believers. So knowing that a man is not made righteous from works of the law, but by faith in Christ, now works of the law is startling. What does Paul mean by that? That's not in the Hebrew Scriptures. That's not in anything we know. And so they would have been startled. But by faith in Christ Jesus. And we have believed. Now that's the completed sense. That's the past. We have believed in the past in Christ Jesus in order that we might have been made righteous by faith in Christ and not from works of the law. So the result is that from works of the law, no flesh will be made righteous. Okay, and that's the future expectation of being made righteous. Or we've got three senses of time in here. We've got completed acts, you know, when, when we believed the first faith in Christ Jesus. We've got now our faith in Christ Jesus in our walk. And then we've got something to do with future uh, righteousness when we come into the presence of God. This is actually my translation, but I think it's a good translation, and, and um, it may be a little bit easier to understand than <laughs> what you read in your Bible. For example, I've called the Gentiles nations, which is a translation of the Hebrew concept of goyim, which refers to anybody who's a non-Jewish Gentile. I have also replaced justified with a simpler term, made righteous. Makes a whole lot more sense than justified. If you're justified, you're made righteous. And I've attempted to capture the tenses of the verbs and the various nuances of prepositions, so I'm going to explain in a minute there's past, present, and future. We will consider these two verses and those that follow as artistic linguistic patterns that play with the language by using words in unusual ways and building poetic constructions that elicit an emotional response. This is very Hebraic. Strong linguistic elements in this passage would have crashed in the ears of the ancient listeners. Repetition resonates with a loud echo. Why is God repeating? Sarcastic irony, that's saying one thing meaning another in a way of sarcasm or ridicule, taunts the Jewish believers who are teaching the law to the Galatian Gentiles. The sudden appearance of a strange phrase, works of the law, startles the listeners, and there's going to be a central chiastic focus emerging with thundering power to explode Paul's two related messages. So we have, we have believed in Christ Jesus. That's Galatians 2.16. We have the central message exploding, Christ lives in me. And then we have another parallel uh, verse having to do about believing in Christ Jesus. This Vital message is given in positive words of instruction and encouragement, not a negative attack on the law or a condemning judgment against Jewish adversaries, which is what Christian theology has done with this passage. Without an understanding of this ancient literary play on words, we have tended to interpret these verses literally. When the literal meaning seems to conflict with other portions of Paul's letters, what do we do? Oh, we jump to a conclusion or we spiritualize the message. Our Western mind sees in Galatians 2, 15, 16, a literal discourse that we think is Paul's exposition about the law, which is the Hebrew Scriptures, which Paul seems to set in sharp contrast to faith in Christ. 
On the literal surface, that's what it sounds like, but that's not what Paul is telling us. Paul sounds somewhat pedantic. He seems to speak with commanding authority, instructing the Galatians about matters of the law, but that's not what the Galatians would likely have heard, nor what Paul intended. Our modern mind looks for Paul's main point at the beginning of the passage, but it's not there. He starts by saying, we are by nature Jews, you Jewish Christians. We're Jews. We're special. We're chosen. We're not sinners out from the nations like those Gentiles. This is irony. Irony was an acceptable method in the ancient world to confront an opponent in a heated discussion, and this is the way the discussion begins. The speaker says one thing that sounds acceptable on the surface, but really means something else that delivers a piercing challenge. Our modern mind is uncomfortable with ironic barbs and acid taunts. We want a sermon. We want polite dialogue. But the first century Hebraic culture was quite different. It was customary in ancient Israel to search the scriptures with passion and conviction and to encounter colleagues not with polite dialogue, but with heated debate. (laughs) There's a humorous observation among Jews today that captures this cultural trait where there are two Jews. You have three opinions. <laughs> and then this, this has to do with the, the, the tradition of constantly discussing and debating and searching for that deeper meaning. The Jewish believers in Galatia would have reacted instinctively in two ways simultaneously. First, Scripture's clear. The Jewish Christians would have surmised, hey, God has given us the law. I mean, that's, that's really powerful. He's given us the Torah and all its inspired commentaries. And we are his chosen people, Israel. We are set apart from the nations to be holy as God is holy, and he's given us the law to allow us to be holy. This is their tradition. Now, Paul's going to ask them to leave this tradition behind, and he's going to give them something new to think about, right? Their response would likely have been pride in God's election of Israel. After all, they were sincerely sharing their beloved Torah with Gentile believers who are now God's chosen people also. That's their tradition. And Paul is somehow going to have to disturb this tradition and prepare them to hear something different. But then a second and almost instantaneous response would have followed. These are the Jewish Christians when they heard, not sinners out from the nations. Whoops, Paul has struck with an implied contrast between the elevated and prideful nature of Judaism on one hand and the surrounding godless and pagan nations on the other. But wait a minute. Aren't all people living in a condition of sin, both Jews and Gentiles? Is any Jew who is knowledgeable in the law perfect, that is righteous? Paul is silently asking, Hey, guys. Are any of you Jewish believers without sin? Are you perfect? Aren't you also sinners, just like the gentle believers whom you are instructing in the law? Aren't you all sinners? You can't take this as instruction. It's not instruction, and you can't draw conclusions about it to form theologies. This is Paul using methods of persuasion to startle these people and to get them out of their tradition. They're, they're stuck in their tradition. And he says, you know, I'm going to tell you something different, and I've got to prepare you to hear it. What follows is the linguistic device of repetition. The ancient ear would have heard a repetitive we. 
The first we is now familiar to us, we by nature Jews. We have seen that Paul's irony has disturbed Jewish tradition by exposing Jews also as sinners together with those Gentiles whom they had traditionally viewed as sinners out from the nations. Yet Paul hits with another ironic contrast in the second we, which in the context refers again to Paul and the Jewish believers. We, again, Paul and the Jewish believers, are not only in need of God, because all mankind are sinners and the law only instructs in righteousness, but we, Paul and the Jewish believers, are also now recipients together with Gentile believers of God's grace. Something has happened that is God's grace. Paul declares, we have believed in Christ Jesus. Thus Paul makes no distinction between Jewish believers and Gentile believers. All are born under sin, yet all have believed in Yeshua the Messiah. Gentile believers who are listening to the letter must have been stunned by the intensity of Paul's sarcastic irony that was directed to these Jewish believers and was beginning to thoroughly shake the tradition of these Jewish believers, whom they considered to be elevated because these Jewish believers knew the law. Now, after we by nature Jews, Paul declares, knowing, now in the present, that a man is made righteous by faith in Christ Jesus, and we have believed a past action in Christ Jesus. There are two verb tenses, present and past, which are contributing to the premise of Paul's argument. Now, he hasn't started his argument yet. He's just laying the foundations. Thus, Paul's continuing irony offers the first part of the premise. The premise is something that he's going to prove. So it's, it's like a thesis, it's a premise, it's a suggestion. Paul presents it, this premise, in the present tense. They are being made righteous by their faith in Christ. Then Paul contends in the second part of the premise that God has already accomplished this righteousness of past action when the Galatians first believed in Yeshua. Man, what a premise that is. We will see that Paul will prove this premise from Scripture. We haven't gotten there yet. We're just in the beginning where Paul's saying he's trying to disturb these, these traditions and preparing them to hear something new. The law merely instructs in righteousness, whereas faith in Christ leads us to a walk of righteousness. That's the difference. The law is still the law. It has excellent instruction in it. There's nothing wrong with learning the law because it instructs us in righteousness. But after we understand instruction in righteousness, we need to walk by that righteousness. Such intense irony that Paul was using was an acceptable method of argument to startle colleagues in a heated debate. Paul is countering the comfort of tradition, circumcision, and knowledge of the law to prepare the Galatians to consider an alternative view. Thus, we have seen in Galatians 2, 15, 16, two linguistic devices that are characteristic of Hebraic artistry of language. First, irony plays with words to say one thing but really means something else that is sarcasm or ridicule. And don't forget, the irony is directed against the Jewish believers. Second, a sudden intrusion of something strange or startling, which is the term works of the law, which didn't make sense to them. It, it, it was strange. It was startling. And that's characteristic of this artistic language. 
But as we will see, even more linguistic devices will become evident in just these two opening verses, Galatians 2, 15, 16. Paul had to break down the tradition of the people in Galatia. I now, explaining Paul, have to break down your tradition that the works of the law means that the Jews thought they could be you know, made righteous by, by doing good works. That's not what Paul is talking about at all. So I'm having to disturb, disturb your tradition by explaining Paul, and that's why I'm taking so much time. So let's talk about the mechanics of Hebraic artistic language. The purpose of Paul's artistic language is to evoke an emotional response that agitates thought and provokes discussion. That's why you have to read Paul very slowly and keep asking yourself questions. And it's best to do that with a study partner. Paul is using these linguistic methods to unsettle the comfort of Jewish tradition and to prepare the Galatians to hear and accept his exciting new discoveries from Scripture, which he has uncovered by using methods of legal midrash, which we're going to get, we're going to get there, we're going to get there, don't worry. (laughs) Uh, But now we recall that Paul is using artistic language in Galatians. He's going to continue now in Galatians 2, 15 to 21. I'm going to do my best to explain it because it's, it's artistry of language and it can be hard to understand, but I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to do my best because it arranges various linguistic devices to form patterns. We are going to be uh, challenged to respond to these patterns as the ancient Galatians would have been, you know, urged to respond with what? With lively discussion. Now, the lively discussion is going to occur between you and me, you know, in these podcasts, but I'm going to do my best. In fact, the Galatians would have exploded with heated debate as they considered Paul's incisive artistry. It took me literally years of work and practice to switch my Western analytical scientific mind to Paul's ancient Hebraic way of thinking. Immersion in the Hebrew language helped. I began to realize that Paul's linguistic artistry conveys images that activate a lively response of sight and sound rather than analytical reason, which is our Western tradition. The linguistic devices aid in this process of emotional artistry. The resulting patterns are indeed artistic, as opposed to Western thinking of sequential thought, cause and effect, thesis and evidence. There are three linguistic patterns of Hebraic linguistic artistry that we're going to see in these following verses, uh, chapter 2, verses 15 to 21. We will experience each pattern by following four steps. First, we will start by identifying the linguistic device, and then we'll practice responding to that artistry with an emotional response. Second, we will use the sound and rhythm of the linguistic device to help us visualize the patterns. Third, we will consider the deeper meaning to which Paul is pointing. The process of considering the depth of meaning will precipitate numerous questions, and that's good. We, we want to be asking questions, because that's the only thing that's going to lead us deeper. And asking questions is the intention of Hebraic artistry of language, which is to stimulate discussion and debate. However, some questions will linger because this study will raise them but will not supply the answers. These provocative and unanswered questions would lead you to the fourth and final step. You must learn to do this yourself, to ask questions 
and let the questions lead you into scriptures and discussion and debate to a deeper meaning. So with that, I will leave you with this podcast, but I certainly hope you will join me in the next podcast.